Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and I am just so excited to be back. We had our friends, Caitlin and Sam, covering some bases for us for the past month, and they did an incredible job. I mean, they stepped in and filled a gap for me because I had a baby. And I truly was like, what am I going to do? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a get ahead kind of gal. Okay. I just, I don't think that far ahead. I am a, a little bit, let's fly by the seat of our pants and see what happens. So when I had lunch with Sam and Caitlin, I was like, Hey, so here's a podcast. Will you do it for four weeks? And I'm just, I'm so grateful for them and the truths and the clarity um, and just the fun that they brought um, over the month of April. So Sam, Caitlin, we're grateful for you. Now here I am back again with a one month old. And let me, let me just tell you all. Okay. Now, even if you're not a mom yet, I just, I need you to, to lean in here. Okay. Because I once heard that adding a third kid to your family is similar to being in the deep end of the pool. All right, go with me here. You know, you like jump in and you're kind of on your own, right? You've got to kick as hard as you can to get to the side. And if you're just trying to stay in one spot and just kicking and staying there, having a third kid is like when you're trying to keep your head above water in the deep end and then someone hands you a baby to hold. Okay. Imagine the panic, the chaos of the moment. And I was also told that the addition of a third baby crushes your soul. And I'm here to tell you that I find myself in the reality of both of those descriptions. Okay. Um, I think we experience newborn amnesia. It's why many of us have more than one kid. Okay. Because I remember having my first one and I asked my mom, I was like, does this become a black hole? Because how do people have more than one kid? And it's true. Those first few months, they do become a black hole. And eventually we're like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Let's do this all again. Let's take it from the top. Because, you know, my ability to put two senses together, it feels all of a sudden unimportant. I don't need that anymore. So let's, let's have a baby. So this adjustment to three, it has just been really stinking hard. But I do feel like I have to pause here. And I have to say that this season is also marked by gratitude because I can't live within the season or write these words without recognizing and carrying the stories of so many who I love that were or are unable to experience what I'm describing or who would love more than anything to experience it it again. I've spent a lot of early mornings and maybe late nights chasing gratitude because there are just certain circumstances that gratitude does not come naturally for me. I have to find it. I have to search it out and plant myself firmly in the goodness that subtly or sometimes overtly marks my days. There's always some of it to find. There's always some point of gratitude to grab onto. So we've just been fighting for our lives over here with the addition of this third little nugget. And if I'm really just flat out honest with you, I have not handled this transition as gracefully as I probably could. There have been lots of nights that I'm ready to just roll Ryan right out of the bed for coughing or breathing sometimes, like stop doing it so loudly. You know, it's like when he's eating cereal next to me, I could take a life. But from my sleep deprived state, his deep sleep breathing, it honestly feels like a taunt. 
like a show off, like a flex. Look at me over here asleep. You're over there holding the baby. I just, I, it, it sparks something in me that I have, I have to honestly take a second and be like, you gotta calm down, sister. All right, this is too much. And when I'm like aggressively rocking this burritoed baby at 2 a.m., I'm wondering, okay, rocking has to burn calories, right? Because I'd really like my jeans to fit. In a like premature attempt to feel normal again, I tried putting my pre-pregnancy jeans back on. I mean, this was just a few days after getting home from the hospital. And in that moment, I wasn't the only one fighting for my life in this household. That button, that button was barely hanging on. Okay. I thought I'll put on a baggy shirt. You want to be able to tell. You could tell. You could. Sometimes I'll drive to the grocery store with just this low grade anxiety that this sweet baby, this sweet baby of mine is going to lose his ever loving mind in the middle of the cereal aisle and look at what others, and I will stay in there and I will look at what others who can easily go in and out, how they can just maneuver through their lives like it's nothing right and, and sometimes I have a little bit of jealousy just because I'm aching for some sort of rhythm for me these are the things that mark the newborn stage as a mother so while from the outside it may look like I know what I'm doing I'm reminded once again in this season how easy it is to look like you've worked out this whole motherhood equation, like I've worked out this whole motherhood equation. But then I'm confronted daily with the reality that I absolutely and in no way have any of it figured out. And I would venture to say most of us don't. Because the truth is, I have no patience for the process. I found myself frustrated with the transition, ready to just be transitioned. So yeah, it's kind of funny to think about it as a mom, you know, you're ready for your baby to have sleep habits, you're ready to wear your old clothes, you know, you want to be transitioned into this new life. But I just, I can't stand the process. It feels like it takes forever, right? Because in this, in this case, I'll be honest with you, I was a little overconfident. I thought I have two other kids, I'll be fine. This is going to be easy. And the Lord has humbled me. My expectations were bigger than my experience. I was confident because I had two kids under my belt. But you know what? That confidence, it didn't really get me very far. Nothing is how I thought it would be. But if I step back and I take a broader view, it's not just the case with transitioning to another kid. This is the case with most transitions. We don't like them. We want to be transitioned. We want to be on the other side. New job, new role, new relationship, new home, new anything. What we expect is rarely what we experience. It's normal for transitions to carry a mixture of excitement and grief, anticipation and frustration. And when change happens, we imagine ourselves in the results of the change without taking in the toll of the transition. We see ourselves thriving in this new role, in a new job, in a new relationship, the new whatever it is. We see ourselves growing in a fresh relationship, succeeding with a new title, but our imaginings lack the reality of what it will be like to get there. We're only thinking about when we are there. So the days that we feel clueless, ill-equipped, ignored, insecure, overwhelmed, worried, full of doubt, and wishing we could just go back to what we know because that's easier to live in than the unknown. Those are the days 
that we are ready to be done with a transition. We want to be transitioned. So here are just a few notes that I've taken in those late night hours in the endless driving in circles, hoping that the baby will fall asleep. And during the moments, I feel like my body is becoming one with the recliner that I find myself in the majority of the day. Unchecked expectation brings distraction. That sounds like a little heavy, a little much, right? But stick with me because let's talk about what expectations are. They are essentially assumptions about what should or will happen in the future. We begin putting value on a future we're unable to factually define. Instead, choosing to rely on a working definition of what we want to happen. So for me, I rarely communicate these to anyone, these expectations, I hold them close and without realizing, I allow these expectations to become markers of my personal value. So giving these expectations, this amount of space in my heart leads to a destruction of confidence, right? Because when they're unmet, all of a sudden, I think it's a me problem. And then take it a little farther after time, they can lead to a destruction of faith because doubt in me begins to translate into doubt in God. I doubt he cares. I doubt he understands. I doubt he sees. I doubt him because my expectations are usually rooted in my limited view of what I believe will make this life better, easier, clearer. And I leave no room for his view. His way rarely lines up with mine because I have this really bad habit of not starting with him. I start with me. So in the moments my expectations are growing wildly, I've had to stop and I have to have to pray this really simple prayer, prayer. God, you know, the desires of my heart, you know them because you put them there, run them through your lens, remove what isn't a part of what you want for me and grow what brings you glory. You made me You crafted the gifts you gave me and you'll create the space for me to use each one. I don't have to force anything when I replace my expectations with your promises. To plan only for comfort and ease would be to work the plan of the adversary. The enemy, he wants us to believe that if God really loved us, saw us and understood us, that our lives would be easy. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus only lays out one way and over and over again, we ask for an easier way, a more comfortable way, but that is not, nor has it ever been what Jesus asks of us, what he said our lives would be like following him. He said in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The way to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. The message paraphrases it this way. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. So that fly by the seat of my pants scenario that I, that I mentioned earlier, I used to live the majority of my life that way. 
but I realize that's kind of the lazy way out, right? Let's just, let's just see what happens. Okay. Let's just, you know, like I might spend some time growing in my relationship with Jesus. I might spend some time prioritizing what matters most in his eyes, but I might not, I might not feel like it. And that is why I end up in these scenarios where I don't understand why the plan I made is not the plan he has. And so we have to remember and be reminded that just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because a transition is hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Jesus taught that following him is marked by hard, but never without cause. A few chapters later, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16, 25, if you try to hang on to your life, if we try to white knuckle grip what we want, our expectations, the way that we want everything to be on the other side of whatever decision we make, if we try to hang on to that, Jesus said, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, if you open your hands for my sake, you will save it. Again, let's check out that paraphrase. It says, Jesus said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? That's what Jesus is asking. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to trade any of, any of yourself, your soul, what he created in you to be comfortable, to feel like you're making progress in the direction you wanted to, to be doing what you want to be doing. So Ryan, my husband, he is a man driven by safety to an annoying degree. Like when I was learning to drive, I was taught by my incredibly wise mother that a yellow light meant hurry up. It's about to turn red. Ryan, on the other hand, is under the belief that yellow means slow down. It's about to turn red. It's one of the tension points of our relationship, if I'm honest with you, (laughs) where some spouses like punch their imaginary brake when they're riding in the passenger seat with their significant other. I'm more so over there wishing I had my own gas pedal because my gosh, can we please get where we're going? The amount of times that I just, I want to take the wheel from him, specifically when there's a screaming newborn in the back, my left eye is starting to develop a twitch. But the truth is our expectations become our steering wheel. We gently or sometimes aggressively try to maneuver our lives in the direction that we prefer and lose our ever loving minds when we're met with dead ends. We can't stand to sit at the red lights or take the detour that adds some hours to our trips. We get frustrated at the speed limit, wishing we could just punch the gas and get where we thought we'd be. And in all the maneuvering, we're missing the moment. We're missing the moments of goodness and faithfulness. We lose the ability to identify what's here right now because our eyes are trained to only see what's missing. I've learned that the anecdote to frustration is often gratitude. This is a discipline. We can either give our lives to all that will one day wither away, chasing expectations, wishing to be where we plan to be all along, or we can chase gratitude. We can take our hands off the wheel and take in the sights around us instead of being fixated on our desired destination. 
Maybe you're in a season of transition too, or maybe you're navigating disappointment of unmet expectations and all you see is what is not. I get it. These are some of the most uncomfortable seasons to be in, marked by just this low grade frustration, but the worst kind of expectations are the uncommunicated ones. This is true in relationships, jobs, parenting, and personally. While God is aware of the desires of our hearts, when those desires become expectations, they become pretty heavy, right? Pretty burdensome burdensome to us. Because we become these expectation enforcers. Instead of bringing those expectations to a God who doesn't just know our deepest wants, but understands them, we begin the completely unfruitful work of manipulating and maneuvering, maneuvering circumstances to fit what we want, right? So God's aware of them, right? He knows our deepest wants, our deepest desires, and he understands them. But yet we're over here thinking, okay, if I can just maneuver this and manipulate this to be what I want it to be, I'll be okay. First Peter 5, 7, it says, bring all your cares to him because he cares about you. He cares about what you care about. That's what it says. That is truth because it lives in the book of truth. Those are God's words because they're in his word. He cares about what you care about. So tell him. Not with another layer of expectation, assuming that telling him means it all works out the way you want. He's not a vending machine, right? It's not meant to be transactional. It's meant to be relational. Sharing your deepest desires creates intimacy and trust. And when we learn to rely on that intimacy and trust, our lives become less about us and more about him working through us. In your season of transition or broken expectations, he sees you and he understands you. Take your cares to him and see what happens. Not to your circumstance, but to your heart within your circumstance. This right now, wherever you're at, whatever you're in, it is not all there is. There's always more because the story of redemption is a story of more, more grace, more restoration, more peace, more growth, more victory. The more we are craving has to be run through the story he is crafting. I've said it before. His story for us is better than any story we'd write ourselves. So give him the pen. Eugene Peterson, he paraphrased Ephesians 3.20 this way. He said, God can do anything far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So transition, it will always be hard for me. I recognize that. Unmet expectations, they will always be painful for me. That God's timing and planning will always be what's best for me and for you. So remember this right now, good or bad, is not all there is. There is always more.